0: And we are back at it. Let's talk hoops, episode five. So I decided to bring EB back because I was going through some t- the topics this weekend, and I was like, I don't really want to talk about these by myself. Let me see if if, if Eric has a little bit of time to come on here and chop it up with me. And fortunately enough, he did. So we're here, and we're gonna open up the pot. Oh, should I, do I have to introduce you and do all that other stuff like?
1: It's your pod. I'm I'm okay if you don't.
0: I feel like because you were here two weeks ago, and I'll probably text you again, and be like, "Hey, can you come on and talk about this?" It, it's just like the people know you, and it's not like the "Oh, thanks for having me on" shit anymore. Because
1: yeah, I,
0: but anyways, let's just start. Let's 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 just start with all star snubs. Every single year, we talk about players being snubbed from the all star team. You know, last year. All, all the talk was about Bradley Beal, like how's this man averaging 30 and he doesn't make the all-star team? This year you got people like Tra- – they're saying Trey Young was snubbed. Uh, DeMar DeRozan was snubbed. You got people saying that Mike Conley Jr. got snubbed. And even LeBron came out and said that Devin Booker is like the most disrespected player in the NBA who he originally got snubbed but ended up making the all-star team as a replacement for AD. And I look at it and say there's people I'd rather see in the All-Star game for my own viewing preference. But I honestly don't think that m- there are really many snubs because there's only 24 slots.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. The person that I think had the biggest gripe for a snub is DeMontis Sabonis. He's averaging 21 points, 11 rebounds and almost 6 assists, 5.9 assists. His team is the ninth seed, but they're 15 and 17. And really, like, the next 5 teams, like, 3 above, 2 behind, they're all, like, pretty much locked in there. So, like, a game, if they have a different... If they have, like, if they're 16 and 17, they're vaulted into, into the 7th or 6th seed. Like So, I thought he had a good gripe over maybe Vucevic, who's got great numbers also. He is... 24, 11, and 3, but his team is 13 and 21, and they're like second to last place in, in the East tie with Cleveland. So if Sabonis got in over Vucevic, that one I'm cool with. I'm cool with how it actually played out with Vucevic getting in and then Sabonis getting uh, the spot because like KD sitting out. But Devin Booker, as much as I love Devin Booker's game and he's great, if people say he's a snub, who should he have gotten in ahead of? Because he's not getting in ahead of... CP3. CP3 is the most important player to that team. I know Devin Booker is the best player on that team and he's honestly like better for the All-Star game. You'd rather see him in the All-Star game. But CP3 is more deserving of the All-Star nod.
0: So let's stick with that CP3 thing. I honestly don't know if Devin Booker is better for the All-Star game than CP3 and here's why. You know they're doing that same alternate ending this year. So when the game actually slows down and you need somebody to like manage the game, remember CP3 was running point last year in the all-star game when in crunch time. Mm-hmm. Devin Booker is, is I guess he's nice for the first and second quarter, but it's not like he has Curry range. He's a great scorer, but he doesn't have like Curry range. He's not a high flyer. It's like, yeah, Devin Booker, you should be here. You're good enough, but there's not much about your game For me, that super all-star game, exciting. But before we get too far ahead of this, let's read down the rosters real quick, just for those who may not have seen the roster. So the West Coast, for the Western All-Stars, we have LeBron, Steph Curry, Luka, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard. Those are your starters. Then for your reserves, you have Anthony Davis, who was voted in but is now replaced by Devin Booker, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Dame Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Zion Zion Williamson. Then for your uh, Eastern All-Stars, you have Kevin Durant, who is the captain. You have Giannis, Brad Bill, Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving. Then for your reserves, you have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, James Harden, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Ben Simmons, Nikola Vucevic, and Demonte Sabonis, who is replacing Kevin Durant. So those are our all-star teams, and you know we talk about the standings, right? And I think that unless you're like a a Hawks or you're like a a Orlando Magic team in the East, the rest of the standings don't really matter because I would love to say that Boston doesn't deserve to have two all-stars because of where they are in the standings, but they were out of the playoffs two days ago. And I think they're like back at the five seed now. So like the East is so tight and everybody besides the top two teams are honestly so bad that how do you properly evaluate which teams deserve to have all-stars based off of a person's stats?
1: And it's, it's harder to do this year just because, truncated time. We haven't gotten to see people play as much as we would in usual years. And then the East is just a shit show. Like I looked at Boston's record when the all-star reserves first came out and they were like, I think 15 and 15 and they were outside playoff contention yesterday. When I looked at it, they're 17 and 17 and they're sitting in, they're in the fourth seed. So how do you go from outside playoff contention? You're still 500 and now you're the fourth seed in the East. So the East is just in shambles. And that one makes it even harder. Because then it's it's like, who deserves to rightfully be in? Because by that logic, like, why can't Trae Young be in? he is like, four games behind. But his numbers are great. So with, with the East as bad as it is, that one makes that one tougher to do. I think the West is, is pretty rock solid. And... The snubs on that side I find harder to justify them being called snubs. So, like, yes, Devin Booker's team is doing great, but is he really getting in over Dame or Luca or Steph or Donovan Mitchell, whose team is in first place? And if if CJ was healthy, like CJ's probably in also. So yeah. if you really look at it, like Devin Booker, as great a player as he is, a great a scorer as he is, it's not a snub. Like who are you going to get in over?
0: Yeah, like I wanted to see my guy swipe with a fox get in this year. And mm-hmm. he finally has all-star numbers, but he's a guard in the West.
1: Sometimes it's just how it's going to shake out. I mean, people for years were saying Dame is constantly getting snubbed. It's like, who is Dame going to start over? You have Steph, Clay, CP3 was like at the height of his powers, and then he went over to Houston, was still doing great. You had James Harden, Russ Not averaging right. a triple-double. Like, who Like who is Dame going to start over? So we now, have these guys we really like who are great for the game but you have when you look at it and start saying snubs who are they going to start? Over? Who are they going to play over?
0: I will say Dame deserves to start not over Luka this year.
1: That one I'm honestly not I don't care either way. Uh the numbers are pretty this the scoring numbers are similar. Luka like far outpaces him in rebounds, but Luka is is a giant for guards and is just a great rebounder. And then the assists, Luca's doing more. Also, his usage is higher. But I think I think they got it right. I'm not mad either way. But I personally, I would put Luca in over Dame.
0: So the reason why I, I would put Dame in over Luca because at the time when when the starters came out, the Mavericks were around about the 13th seed, I believe, because it was around the time that we did you, me, and Boynt get the pot. It was like maybe a, that same week, a couple days later um Dallas hadn't been playing well and Dame had had um damn Portland like the
1: four seed Dame Will. was like dark horse MVP at that time
0: yeah like it, it, he was and it's like hold on he's a dark horse MVP and he's not an all-star starter like CJ's gone um Nurk is hurt again so he's he was carrying Melo and Derrick Jones Jr to a top seed in the West. And it was like, come on, man. At what point does winning does winning matter? But I also understand with Luca being an a, a international player, he has that foreign fan audience definitely pouring in those votes that makes up the difference between someone who's an American-born player who has their fan base uh, uh, of fans of the game, but you don't necessarily have that giant outpouring of people who are supporting you. Just because of where you're from, and so I ask you: Do we have the All Star formula right? So you know, for the starters, you have the you have the fan vote, fifty percent. Then you split the um, player and media vote. And I don't know if you've heard about how some of the players voted, but it's real, it's real petty.
1: Oh like yeah, I, for sure.
0: Like I think one player, uh, I think it was one player on the Sixers, he talked about how he voted for all Sixers. No, uh, and then you have and then for your replacement, for your for your bench players, you know, you have like the coach vote. And I'm not saying that the coaches don't understand basketball better than that. They, they understand basketball better than, than, than them or all of us. Right. Obviously, they're the coaches. But I don't know if they necessarily understand what that the all star game is a TV product and you want a blend of your best players and your most exciting players that are good enough to be there. Right. Um, towards the end, you know, when, when Tim Duncan was still Tim Duncan, it's like, ah, yeah, you're, you have all-star numbers, but we don't want to see you in this game. You bring nothing to this game for what it is that we want to see as a viewing public as a TV product. But obviously for hall of fame consideration, You have to give you have to give the players who deserve it the nod. But I think a player like Trey Young, who doesn't play the best defense, who maybe has too high of a usage rate for what he is right now. Coaches don't like that. They don't maybe don't like the player. And that affects a player who may deserve to be there to get there.
1: I think the formula is right, because when you think about it, like you name those. So you name Tim Duncan. The last few times Tim Duncan got in because he's Tim Duncan, if you think about the years before that, like at that point, his Hall of Fame career was cemented. Like it didn't matter whether he was getting into all-star games or not. So we want to see a fun game. The players that are for the most part getting in deserve to be there. And then when you come down to those snubs, it's maybe like like one through I'd say maybe like eight or nine for each team is pretty solidified. Like these eight deserve to be there. And then maybe you could argue – The three that are in and maybe a few snubs that are interchangeable, sure. And those show up on resumes. The guy who's like, who made it onto the team, 10th, that guy's Hall of Fame resume is probably, like, are we going to look at how many All-Star games he was in? I'm like, oh, he was actually in four, but he got snubbed. Like, no one one really cares about that guy's Hall of Fame resume. So when I look at it right now, like Vince Carter, all the All-Star games he went to, he deserved to be in. The Kobe's, the T-Max, like those guys deserve the All-Star games they went to. Nobody's really concerned about like, well, Danny Granger got snubbed that one year. Okay, maybe he did, but like when it's all said and done, is it going to matter if a Danny Granger didn't get into the all-star game and he should have? I don't think so. So right now I think the formula is, is as good as it can be because it is very subjective, but I think by and large it's going to be accurate for 85% of the guys.
0: So what you're telling me is that Mike Conley's not really an all-star snub every year that we call him a snub. Because he's never made the all-star thing. He's just not an all-star. He's just a really good player.
1: Correct. He's a really good player. And like Trey Young, and it's partly because of how he plays also. He's not an all-star this year, but like, he's going to be a perennial all-star here soon. People don't like the antics. People don't like the stuff he'd like the flop in. And, and a lot of the stuff he does is just annoying. But he's great for the game. He shoots from all over the place. He can pass the ball. Like He's a very good player and is one day going to be a perennial all-star. And even if it is in the East, like if he comes West at some point, like he's going to be, he could be an all-star there too. I'm not saying next year, but Trey Young is like, he's built like an all-star. He plays like an all-star. It's, it's fun. It's exciting. And he also has production. Is the production good, good stats, bad team? Some of it, but like he is an all-star. Mike Conley has always been slow. It's been like, he's been very methodical in how he plays. It's not a very exciting type of game, but it's, it's an important type of game. And in those years when it was like him, Zebo, and Marcus, like they were really fun teams to watch. They could crash the party every year, but that doesn't make him an all star, just makes him like a really good player who's just right on the outside.
0: Bro, you know, he had to learn how to throw a lob last year. Because he never threw lobs. Like what what lob is Zebo or Marc Gasol gonna catch? They're not. So uh interesting comment though, Glaze, who's uh tuning in. What's up, Glaze? He thinks that Zion is just there for show business.
1: Uh, I have to respectfully disagree. Zion is, he's the craziest thing I've seen, I think, ever. And I'm not saying he's the best I've ever seen, just the way he plays is young Blake Griffin. And I think he's even better at getting to the rim. Like He's averaging 25, 7, and 3. He's a 70% free throw shooter. So at the line, you're not too worried about him if he gets fouled uh down the stretch in the game we know he can't shoot like if you remember his first game I think they were playing the Spurs he came in and he was raining threes and you're like did Zion just add this to his game like this kid's gonna be unstoppable and we found out that was not the case and yet he's still averaging 25 you know he's going to drive to the basket and you cannot stop him he's a brute force I don't think he's there just for show he belongs
0: yeah and because of what he does do and it's beautiful in the way he plays and I can't wait to see some of the lobs that he catches in that game and some of those dunks. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And I saw a number today. Shout out to j Ho. He sent it to me. Zion is the second player in history to average 25 on 60% shooting behind Kevin McHale.
1: Yeah, his field goal percentage is is nuts, especially for someone who you know what they're going to do. And he's not like, like Shaq in his best years who had crazy field goal percentages and was posted like, within six feet of the basket. Zion will catch it at the free throw line and get his way to the basket. And you know where he has to go there. And he's still and
0: miss, and miss it, get his rebound and he's back putting it up before you came down from your initial block attempt.
1: Yeah, and like I love Brandon Ingram's game, but and even if you've watched the Pelicans in their in their last few games, once Stan was like, "Zion, we're going to let you cook. Like you got the keys, you got the keys to the car and we're just going to ride you as far as we can." That team has been unlocked. The team looks so much better now when when you just let Zion do his thing. So, yes, Brandon Ingram is probably the best scorer on the team because he can score from anywhere. But Zion makes that team go.
0: He's the best overall player on that team. Yeah,
1: Zion makes that team go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I love watching point Zion. You know, we came over here and and killed Stan Van Gundy. And I don't know. I think people may have heard our last pot here because some of the stuff that we talked about, and the way shit just like flipped the way that Jamal Murray decides to go off uh, the way that Stan Van Gundy decides to unlock point Zion it's like hey bro do you remember at duke when coach k would just say we know you got we got RJ Baird here we know we got Cam Reddish here players who were who were rated higher than him coming in we're going to give this guy the ball and let him ball for lack of better words like i like it but let's not go too too far in on Zion because we do have a Zion segment coming up later. Oh, so final question about the All-Star game. Do you think we should go to a best 24 players as opposed to East and West? Because now we're we're drafting the teams because, you know, at one point the West was so low, it was like, bro, we, we can't have the West playing against the East. The East doesn't have enough stars to make this a competitive game. So they started drafting the players. Should we just draft all 24 players, pick two captains, and go from there?
1: I actually really like that if it was just the best 24 players in the league. Because the East West format, I understand why you need it, but it hasn't been good in a very long time. Like the last All Star game I can remember that I like thoroughly enjoyed and was a great game was like 01 when Stefan Marbury and AI both went off. And then just after that, it's the West has just been just dumb stacked. So if you're going to make the format what it is now, just team whatever captain versus team other whatever captain. I think it should just be the best 24. And then you're not really going to have as many snubs because then it's do Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both get, o- get in over Devin Booker? Probably not with Devin Booker seated firmly in the fourth seat in the West and he's, he's balling out. But you have Devin Booker going against future first ballot Hall of Famers who have multiple rings. Like it's just, it's probably not going to happen for you. But if you're going against the East as well, he's much more likely to get in people that are in the West that can't contend with the stars and you can't, you're not going to get over AD. You're not getting over Kawhi and PG. You can get in, in the East because it's Giannis, KD, Joel Embiid. And then there's really a power vacuum.
0: I mean, let's be real. Kyle Lowry has a hall of fame resume because he played in the week East. Now I'm not talking about what he did in that finals because what he did in that finals was amazing. And I know Kawhi got finals MVP, but if you watch those games, Kyle Lowry was the heart and soul and the pulse of that team. But he got a lot of all-star nods, you know, before then and even some after. I mean, this man was taking charges in the all-star game last year. And it's like, is Kyle, when you think of all-star point guard, does Kyle Lowry come to mind? Or if you put him in Memphis and put yeah, Mike right. Conley in Toronto, does Mike Conley have some all-star nods under his belt? Absolutely. Oh,
1: for sure. For sure. Because the way I see Kyle Lowry is like, and I'm not saying he's Tony Parker. I think Tony Parker's had a better career and been more impactful on a better franchise. But that's the player I think of. You do all the gritty stuff. You are very good. You're not the flash. You're not AI. You're not the flashy point guards. You're not CP3. But you get the job done. Your team is very good. And you are very good. So if Mike Conley and Kyle Lowry swap roles and Toronto still has the the future it had with Kyle Lowry. Like that doesn't that doesn't surprise me one bit, but it played out how it played out. And Kyle Lowry, for the East, especially, is an all-star. And then just one quick thing, because just it's gonna bug me. I personally think that Fred Van Vliet was that X Factor for Toronto. I think Kyle Lowry, yes, was great, but I think Fred Van Vliet was the thing that was like, this is this is gonna be the, the piece that springs them for this title. And I think it was Van Vliet.
0: So do you think, though, if we if, if they do change the format, which I think they're going to do in the next few years, uh, the players from the less popular teams like Avuch, who has all-star numbers, and even it's a bonus from Indiana where only basketball nerds and Indiana fans are watching the Pacers, let's be real, um, do you think that hurts those players' ability to get their just due who are actually no-shit all-stars but they don't have the spotlight on them as much?
1: I think it depends because then it's going to be like who who's getting snubbed because of you. So like in the West, it's going to be hard for guards. And then if you move those guards to the East, they're going to get in. Whereas I don't find the West like it's very top heavy at the forward position, whereas the East is very good throughout the forward position. Like you have Joel Embiid, KD, Giannis, but Savonis, Vucevic, those guys are all pretty solid as well. So if you like if you look at it, I I don't know because you're going to have certified all-stars who are going to be getting in over them. Like, are you mad DeMontis Sabonis doesn't get in? But, like, think of who all the guys are that get in over him. I think it's going to shake out to be actually pretty much the same. Like, I think he would still probably get in the same if the format stays the same.
0: And, you know, Vooch really got lucky that Jimmy Butler missed all of those games because that's another East, East forward who gets in just because he's Jimmy Butler.
1: Yeah, but if you think about it, so you have 24 spots. You probably free up, what, like eight for for guards, and then the other 16 are f- forwards, the three do, to we, the five.
0: do we even need to make it positional? It, we play positionless basketball.
1: Probably not, but I think if you do that, I think a Sabonis would still get in.
0: I, I, I don't think Rudy Gobert gets in.
1: <laughs> if we I think for- he does still, because that's the standings. And how well, how good a defensive player he is. He,
0: he does. He deserves to make All NBA. I don't want to see him on a, in an All Star game. His, his lobs aren't pretty. He blocks shots. Again, I'm talking about a TV product. You know, put, throw him on an All NBA team. Give him All Defense. Give him DPOY. All of the shit that he deserves. But I don't want to see Rudy go. I don't want to watch Rudy Gobert play basketball. He looks like it hurts him to play basketball, even though he plays at a very high level.
1: Yeah, it definitely hurts players, but it is better for the All Star game product if someone like that's not in there like when ben wallace was getting the all-star game i hated it also because just he played for the pistons and they beat the lakers in 4 but <laughs> like it's, it's bad for the game like yes we understand you're great but nobody wants to see you blocking shots and like doing good box outs in the all-star game
0: right like, it's just like draymond draymond's great draymond is the heart and soul of the warriors they don't win those championships without draymond but wh- what does draymond do in an all-star game that i like
1: the thing about draymond though. That keeps him around, I'd say, for an all-star game that makes it fun is the talking. Like, his skill set is not all-star skill set. Like, it's not anything fun for the game, but he's going to be talking shit, in it's the all-star game. So that, I think, makes it fun.
0: My man can be 8-8-8 eight, eight, eight for, for four or five more years, and it's like, ah, oh, yeah, nothing about this says all-star, but we see what it actually does on the court, man. Um, So let's, let us let's transition a little bit to talking about building a team, right? And a lot of different teams go different routes in building a team. And you remember, I talked to you about what do you think the Lakers look like with all of the talent that they've let go that started to flourish, like your Julius Randle, who made his first all-star team this year. You have your Brandon Ingram, who made his first all-star last year, Lonzo, who has a pulse, Jordan Clarks, and one of the reasons why, you know, Utah's doing what they're doing because of the way he's scoring off the bench. He had, finally had the coach who say. George, you go out there and score. That's all we want you to do. Don't worry about anything else. And then you look at Toronto. You know, Toronto, they did the nice slow build. They they took their lick and then they finally made a move for Kawhi. They get a ring. And now we see that Toronto, granted, this season has been tough. It's hard to evaluate teams on what they are this year. But Toronto may just fall apart. Like, there's rumors that they may that they may be moving off of Kyle Lowry. They may be moving off of Siakam, you know, for a full and total rebuild. But they walk away with the ring. Then you have the Lakers who have who have. Drafted decently well, but have made their money in free agency and retooling through free agency. And then you see what what's going on in Boston. Boston's in the Eastern Conference Finals with almost every year. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Have we ever looked at Boston and thought they had a chance to win a championship since, no. since 08? I mean, excuse me, really since 2010. like 2010. Since? And I asked myself, what's the right way to build a team? Because after Boston fleeced, absolutely fleeced the Brooklyn Nets, Brooklyn Nets are now a title contender. And Boston has not been one since that trade. And we praise Denny Ains for the consistency. But I'm starting to think that over there in Boston, they've been too consistent to get anybody fired, but they're not winning championships. And that's what we play the game for.
1: I think it's a combo of the two. So like, if you look at the great teams we've had in the past, the Warriors did their slow build and then they won in 15 and then 16 was one of the best teams we've ever seen. And they lost and they added KD and then like the rest is history. So theirs was a combo of the slow build plus free agency. You look at the Lakers now, theirs is all free agency. But then you look at Toronto, slow build. They added they added Kawhi, and that was a trade, but they added Kawhi and Danny Green. It's, I, I think, got to be a combo of the two. The Lakers is actually the one I would avoid because, and maybe this is just the LeBron effect. Every time LeBron goes to a team, and he's been the best player we've ever seen of our generation, you're going to do whatever you can do to get LeBron. And then other people are going to come. And then once LeBron deems like this is over, he's going to leave and the team is going to crater. The one time I think that didn't happen is that was in Miami. And like they imploded the next year. But Bosh and Wade were hurt. And a lot of people don't remember that. Like they missed a Bosh missed a good bit of games. Well, the year right problem. after that. They were in the playoffs again.
0: Yeah. So and like, Bosh's career pretty much ended after LeBron left because of of, of his his illness, you know? Yeah.
1: But and Cleveland's been, Cleveland's been trash both times after LeBron left. They were bad, got Kyrie, then LeBron came back. But when LeBron leaves teams, like, they're devastated. When Kawhi left Toronto, they were really good last year. This year, they've had some injuries. So I think for the most part, when you lose a star, sometimes it's not always as bad. And then Boston's, I think, tried to do, to do both. Like, they were trying to get AD. They were trying to get PG. And if they actually had like one out in those sweepstakes with their slow build plus these guys, we're talking about them in a completely different light too.
0: But my question is, were they actually trying to get those guys? Because we hear Boston in all of these conversations, right? But they never make the move. They like, they never ever win the trade or excuse me. They never make the big trade happen. And I think it may be because they're always trying to win the trade. And you know what? Sometimes it's about getting a good player. A lot mm-hmm. of these teams value, oh, yeah, all these picks, all these picks. Let me tell you something that's better than a pick, an all-NBA player that you know is an all-NBA player. L- like some people were like, oh, man, you can't trade Jamal Murray to get James Harden. Yes, you can. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Are you like, yeah you can. Or Or we don't want to let go of Jalen Brown for James Harden. I mean, I see that Jalen's an all-star He's, he's been your best player this year. If James is agreeing to a contract extension, I love you, Jalen, but, uh, have fun in Houston with John Wall.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what you get those players for. And I think it's funny. So like, you're hoarding all these picks and you're like, well, we have these, what are you saving them for? So like my fiance and I, we just bought a house. And then she was like, we just really like, Crushed our savings. We spent a lot of money. And I'm like, that's what we were saving for. We didn't just buy a pair of shoes. We bought a house. So when people are saying, like hoarding picks, that's what you hoard the picks for to flip them. Because yes, these players that you're going to draft, it could turn out to be a Jason Tatum, but it could also turn out to be an Anthony Bennett. So you acquire these picks, flip them, get them out and get a proven player. And that's the problem that Boston has. They don't use those picks to get players they don't throw in enough I thought the Lakers put in too much to get AD then it turned out to be a championship and I was like I I guess it wasn't too much at some point if you give up too much and you get back an AD you get back at James Harden it was all worth it
0: and the thing that that gets me with these picks it's like okay so you're building for the future and um who's gotten rich off of their 401k
1: not me still waiting
0: (laughs) you know what I mean like Who's getting rich off of having a nice savings account?
1: Yeah, it just doesn't happen.
0: It, it doesn't, and you got to make a move. You got to take a plunge because guess what? In today's NBA, with with brands and, and player empowerment, yeah, Jason Tatum's gonna sign that extension that he just signed. Jalen Brown signs that extension. Why? Because they don't want to mess up their money. They got to get that seven years, you know, with the, with your original team, but. After that, bro, it's like, hey, Danny, get me out of here. Brad Stevens. Oh, we love Brad Stevens, right? But, I mean, it – oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. My computer's about to restart. (laughs) (laughs) But, Brad, are you getting the most out of your team now? I mean, you got the most out of IT before he fell apart. Mm -hmm. Are you the most out of the guys that you have on the roster? And – Maybe, maybe not, and some people say, Well, you know, Brad wants to play like the 14 Spurs. Well, guess what? Brad's not doesn't have that personnel, he doesn't. He has two on ball guards who can go get a bucket, make it work. Or, how about this appease Gordon Hayward to say, Hey, we're going to put the ball in your hands a little bit more, we're going to adjust these rotations so that you can do what you do because they, they're now missing a 6'8 playmaker. because – Kim was a shell of himself or has been a shell of himself so far. I think he's working himself back into shape. Uh, uh, My man Marcus Smart has been hurt, but do we really want to trust and rely on Marcus Smart to be the reason why we're a contender? I don't. So I just look at Danny, and I've been off of Danny Ainge for years uh, just because his one title was, I'm not going to call it fool's gold, but it's GM fool's gold, right?
1: I still wouldn't even say that. Like he, he finessed, and granted, like his homeboy Mikhail hooked him up. Yes. But that that team should have probably won another one, and like that, that just goes back to how I always will think. Like I love Doc; think he's a great coach, but he underperforms. But I think you have to make that move, and it was a great move on his part. And the moves he's made since, he hasn't made any big splashes in free agency. He traded; oh. they traded back and got. Jason Tatum. I mean, that was was a great pick.
0: Great pick, but you fleece Philly because I and I remember this like in the moment. I'm like, why is Jason Tatum not going number one? Like he, I don't care what Markel Fultz did in Washington. Jason Tatum is six foot eight. He can he's a three level scorer in college,
1: and he's only going to get better. I thought Fultz was number one. Watching him in Washington, I was like, he looked like a number one player, and like I really liked Lonzo at. UCLA. I remember we even watched that game against Oregon. I didn't think Lonzo should have gone second. I liked the way he like slowed the pace down. I think that was more magic being like this kid can be a new meet. And we all know Magic was not a good front office guy. And but, LeVar
0: Ball and Lavar Ball selling like LA Kid, the Lakers, and all of that stuff. I mean, it was
1: Yeah, it, it was foolish.
0: Yeah, I mean, you should have got De'Aaron Fox or 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 Jason Tatum.
1: <laughs> but but or Brandon Ingram. I think Danny Inge did a great job there. And I think Danny, Inge, like it's it's very underrated, the Jalen Brown pick, because I remember Jalen hey. Brown at Cal, and I was like, they really they picked Jalen Brown? And then you watch him, and he's he's fantastic. So I think that the things like that are where Danny Ainge keeps his job. He hasn't made the splashes that'll make them a contender, but I think it's it's the keeping J. Jay- and I don't think he's going to keep his job forever and be, be in there a very long time, but I think it buys him a couple more years.
0: And and I think he's gonna keep doing that though. That's the thing. He's gonna keep doing things that buys him time because he even in his mistakes, he makes mistakes around the fringes. It's just like, oh, you didn't draft this person with the twelfth pick, or you didn't move up to get this one guy that you kinda liked, but you 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 knew you wanted you knew you wanted Tatum and you were gonna take him first overall anyways. You convinced Philly that you didn't want him and you might take Fultz, so you get some picks for the guy you that you wanted. You made the smart move to get Jalen Brown because when Jalen Brown got drafted, I'm like, okay, okay, and then it obviously it's worked out. But because he doesn't make the big mistake, but he also doesn't make the big move, I personally would not want him as the GM of my team because I feel like, we're gonna be what the Hawks were back 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 in the Mike Woodson Coach Bud days. We're gonna be in the playoffs. We might be a two seed one year. We got lucky, got a one seed that one year. We're gonna be around that three, four, five. We may maybe we make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but we never feel like we're gonna win a championship.
1: Yeah, I see them being being that that type of Hawks team. But it's is that better than becoming the Wizards? And they probably think so.
0: Yeah, but you're talking about the Wizards, and I can't think of their, their former GM's name, but, I mean, he he is all-time terrible, like, all-time, like, just god-awful. So, I mean, he's one of the people that keeps Danny Ainge employed because he, he, you know you can just go fleece him.
1: I just think it's harder, like, the NBA is a bell curve, and I think it's harder to get on that other side of the bell. Only a few people have been able to do that. And that is the Golden States, Brooklyn, just incredibly finessed. And then, and like Toronto. And Toronto's was, that was like GM masterpiece right there. And then so was, uh, I would say Golden States, right? And Daryl Morey, I think, is a great GM as well. Whereas I think Brooklyn, that just kind of like fell into their GM's lap.
0: Oh, yeah. Like that was more so KD, Kyrie, we want to go to New York and we don't want to go play for the Knicks.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's what it was. But what I'm saying it's it's hard to find GMs that really like make it all happen. Palinka did a great job, also, but it's it's hard to find GMs that that can really put that together and make you this this title contender instead of a fringe contender.
0: Man, and I tell you, nobody's been hurt by that more than Denver. Mm-hmm. Like you, like they draft so well, but they're drafting so well, so close together that the players haven't had time to make that grown man 25 jump yet to actually, you know, have the six, seven, eight, nine years in the league to become like championship style players. They drafted Malik Beasley, who is a good basketball player. They got Michael Porter Jr., who is a good basketball player. Jamal Murray, Yoke, like they got, they've accumulated a lot of talent, but the talent is so close together and some of it is so duplicable that you can't even build a full team around all of the talent that you're acquiring, and it's like, damn, you're honestly being too good at your job. But you're in Denver, so you can't make get that splash free agent to come take you over the top. And I think that's that's why I, I like what Masai Ujiri did, and what and what they did out in Golden State, where they built it internally through good drafting. And then they took their shots when it was available because, I mean, if you, yeah, Danny, you keep doing that. You keep accumulating players and picks. But like, like you said, man, when has a big name free agent signed in Boston? Ray Allen.
1: They almost had KD. Was Horford was a free agent, right? And then so was Gordon Hayward and Kyrie. Kyrie was a trade. Kyrie was.
0: was going to play for his college coach. And, a, and, a, and we didn't know what Jalen what Brown was going to be yet. We didn't know what Jason Tatum was going to be yet. They, you know, that's Jalen Brown's second year, uh, Tatum's ric- uh, rookie year. And Al Horford, I mean, they can bring him back now if they want to.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think people would much more lean towards a Boston before they do a Denver. I think Denver is – worst case scenario because they're right on the fringes and all they need is that one guy but that one guy's not going to come to Denver and as much as like Paul Millsap has been a help there Paul Millsap is not turning your team into that contender he's just not
0: Nah, James Harden was going to turn your team into a contender but we fell in love with bubble Jamal Murray
1: I mean he was he was putting up some numbers and then also James Harden James Harden in Houston did not look like the James Harden we're seeing now.
0: And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit because I, I think that fuck it, – let's talk about it now, man. A lot of people didn't think that this experiment in Brooklyn was going to work. I didn't at the beginning, but then after I thought about it, I was like, hold on. James plays point guard, Kyrie plays off the ball, and KD does whatever the hell that KD wants to do because he's KD. And I don't know if you remember the old Kobe quote before he passed away, RIP to the Mamba. He talked about James can't win a championship if he keeps playing the way that he's playing in Houston. And I think James finally got to that breaking point where he understood that this is not winning basketball. We've not had a championship team win like this ever in our history. And I'm going to go play with my boys, and I'm going to be able to drive, dish, shoot, just play play ball. And it's working. And I call myself crazy for thinking that it wouldn't work because I remember saying, well, maybe I, was, I don't even remember once I once I came on here and talked about it, I'm like, you know, when you play with your friends, it's easier to do things that you wouldn't want to do with people that you don't like. Or you don't rock with. And, and now look at them. They came on the West Coast. They beat everybody's ass with no KD. KD's out indefinitely. And it doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah, I... I think with James, so James Harden came into Houston and, and just looked bad. Like, he, he looked overweight. He was playing, he was putting up his typical numbers, but it, it it wasn't really leading to anything. His efficiency was down. And now he's in Brooklyn. He's, what are his numbers? I wrote it down. He's 25-7, and then he's averaging almost 11 assists, but his field goal percentage is up So he was 44 in Houston. He's 48 now. His three percentage is up 7% from 34 to 41. So like he's playing a lot better, which we didn't know was going to happen that fast. Kyrie was on his hiatuses, and like that's not even to make fun of him. I know he was dealing with some things. We've been told the lack of communication didn't sound good, and that just sort of like fueled the fire to Kyrie's a wild card. He's going to do whatever he wants. KD was KD. He's still coming off the Achilles injury, but like – we, we didn't know fully if he was going to be back to top three player in the league KD, which he has been. And then they just figured it like the talent just figured it out way quicker than we all thought. Cause if this had crashed and burned, if they hadn't been playing as well, I think no one would have been equally surprised because of the reasons I just named. Well, Kyrie's doing Kyrie things. James Harden looked bad in Houston. They turned it around. And the reasons we thought they wouldn't were the reasons I just named. So like, The talent figured it out a lot better than we thought they would. And there is some like, oh, I'm playing with my boy. There's a lot more cohesion. But if this hadn't worked, I don't think we would have looked crazy.
0: You're right. But I'll tell you what I find really interesting is how much people were rooting for it not to work and how how I've heard people talk about, yeah, I hate watch Brooklyn. I just watch them because it's really good fucking basketball, to, good offensive basketball to
1: watch. Like They're fun to watch.
0: Like watching James Harden really run the point and being able to kick it to Kyrie. You know how beautiful that is? Like we forgot what off ball Kyrie was. The, the, when he was playing with LeBron and didn't have to be the quote unquote point. That was beautiful basketball.
1: That's what he is. He's a modern Gilbert arenas. Like he is best off ball. And granted Gilbert had to have the ball in his hands. Kyrie is better when you put the ball in his hands and he doesn't, he doesn't have to like create for other people. You get him the ball on the wing. He's coming downhill now and can create, but Kyrie top of the, top of the paint pick and roll. Like that's, that's not his, that's not Kyrie at his best.
0: Nah, bro. Put him on the wing and let him just start dribbling.
1: So now they're just maximizing everybody. You got KD, who's still a top five player in the league. James Harden who was fantastic. And then Kyrie, who is probably the best third option ever, along with James Worthy.
0: I thought Katie, uh, you know, Katie's the best third option ever, but you know.
1: We're not doing that again.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we talked a little bit about Zion earlier, and I kind of want to get back to this Zion conversation and tie it in with analytics, right? Because when you think about the analytics of basketball and where the game is going, the TV product is suffering um you see a lot more blowouts you see a lot more comebacks and it's live and die by the three and I think in that live and die by the three aspect people forget about the layup the layup that goes with it too you know with uh we talked about Daryl Morey who I don't think gets his enough respect for what he's doing as a GM granted he hasn't won a title but He's one of the most brilliant minds in the league. He, he acquires talent. He makes moves. Really, really, really great. Um, but the, there's a layup aspect to that, like getting easy shots. And Zion, again, we talked about him. He's, he's, he's averaging 25 on 60% shooting. He's, he's getting layups. He's scoring in the paint. He's dominating in the paint. And I think that Zion is going to unlock a side of basketball that we need for the TV product to get to get away from some of the analytic thinking, because I think analytics works over 82 games. It's like we talked with, with the All-Stars it over the span of a 10, 15 year career. The cream's going to rise to the top. But when you're talking about, you know, if you break down one specific year, OK, we got we got some misses here. And then you look at basketball in, in specific series. Right. Yeah, that analytics shit ain't gonna work over the seven-game series. And more specifically, in this game, in this quarter, like, yeah, we want this many shots. And if you look at what lost Houston, the Golden State series was we can blame it on Chris Paul, or we can blame it on them missing what 25, 26 straight threes. Mm-hmm. And usually if they get this many threes up. They score at this percentage, so we're going to score this amount of points, and it works. But in one game, I'm going to trust Zion on the block, Duncan laying it up, grabbing his rebound, pogo stick quick, putting it back up quickly more than I'm going to trust the analytics. Because if you look at our top clutch players in the league, you know the mid-range shot, we call it a lost art. But look at your top scores your top clutch players, guess what they score out of? The mid-range. Look at what LeBron's doing now. Mid-range. Kawhi, mid-range. CP3, mid-range. What makes Steph Curry so great from the three is that he has the floater and he has the mid-range. You know what I mean? KD, where's he going to kill you from? Mid-range. Devin Booker. Have you ever just watched Devin Booker highlights?
1: His game is is beautiful.
0: Mid-range is amazing. You know what I mean? And – as much as, again as much as we talk about all this, this 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 three and layup stuff and as much as we see it when the game slows down and you look at the winners the winners are still winning out of
1: the mid-range yeah well, when you think about it like the guys you just named are those elite scorers so those elite scorers know like i can get to my spot catch it maybe out around the three point line jab take a couple steps pull up and that's a that's a great mid-range shot and it's going to go in all the time. But you think about just the rest of the guys on that team for them, it's kind of like three or nothing. So it's not your elite scores who are the ones that are having these problems. Like James Harden will dribble into some threes that I think he can do without. I've seen Luca take some threes that I don't think he needs to take. But those are also like, and this was more so Harden in Houston. The They were the focal point and it was their job to score and create for others. But if you look at like the rest of the guys on Dallas, you look at guys on on Denver, like Jamal Murray can get to the mid range, he can score. Jokic the same thing, but other than like Michael Porter Jr., like Monty Morris, like uh, I'm just going to wait here in this corner. You throw it to me, and I'm going to shoot. It's the other guys who aren't going to t- do the up fake and then dribble into the mid range. They're going to take a three or cut to the basket and try and get a layup. And it's 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 feast or famine for all the other guys. But
0: look at how many bad threes they're taking though. Like a ton. Like hey buddy. You taking a bad three that you can't make isn't a good shot.
1: No. So in in the beginning, it was like, we only take a three if we're down three. And that was like way in the early 2000s, like when the advent of the three point up until the advent of the three point line up until like early, mid 2000s, it was like, take a three if, if, if we need a three or unless you're like a dead eye three point shooter. Other than that, dudes weren't just like pulling up from three like this. And then it became the Warriors, and everybody was taking threes because they had some of the best shooters ever to play on one team. So then other teams like, well, we got to shoot threes too to keep pace. And you don't have the personnel to keep pace. And now that's just the way the game is now. So I'm not trying to see Markeith Morris catch the ball and launch a three, 18 seconds left on the shot clock because his defender is maybe a foot off of him where like, all the defenders now are are bigger and longer. All that defender needs to do is get a hand up and it's still a contested shot. Whereas if you shoot that shot from the free throw line, now that is a good shot. Your defender's sagging off a little bit. You get that shot and a hand is still like sort of in your face. That's a good shot. But that same amount of distance at the three-point line, that's not a good shot. And that's the shot that the league is just taking now.
0: And we got long rebounds, and then it's a it's a fast break on the other end, and everybody's flaring to the corner, and not diving to the basket. And 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 the thing is, Eric, what bothers me most about it is you don't make your defender play defense, Mm-mm. like make him play defense. Because guess what? It's hard to shoot with tired legs. I, I was talking to um, some guys I hoop with around here, and. I said, like, you know, in my adult life, you know, playing basketball, I don't play much defense because I usually can hit jumpers. I can score points. So if I'm scoring, I'm not playing defense. But then occasionally you find yourself in a game where you got to play both ways all game. And I go, bro, how does Kawhi do this shit? You mean to tell me this man going to go in here and give me 28 and then guard LeBron? So... With that, if you actually make that man sit down in the chair, he's not gonna be as explosive on offense. That's how you that's how you try to neutralize a Steph Curry, a, a James Harden, a Kyrie. These great scorers. You want to make them sit in that chair, make them use energy there, as opposed to being able to rest up. And if we just, you know, once pass, two pass, Markeith Morris in the corner for three contest, it's like all right.
1: Yeah, but you think about the guys that those guys are guarding and like Steph usually is not on your primary ball handler because your primary ball handler is is the focal point of the team now. Going to come up and set a screen for him and the action comes from there. He's going to be probably on the off guard unless the off guard is like a Devin Booker or, well, I mean, then the the starting guard is CP3. But you you see what I'm saying. He's going to be on your off guard guy that's not going to primarily have the ball in his hands. If that guy is going to stand on the perimeter and not cut, not try and set screens and is going to catch the ball and fire it. Like, yeah, well, he just reserved all of his energy. Cause you did not make him work at all. And that's the league. Now we're all standing around for the most part. We're going to let the main ball handler do his thing. A defender somewhere is going to have to gravitate to him because of the penetration he just got. And then he's going to kick the ball out. And then make, the ball's going to start flowing from there. Cause the guy that just, that is now has to help onto the guy who caught the ball, which was my man. Now I have a little space And do I have enough space to shoot it, or do I need to kick the ball to the next guy? And the defenses just do not have to work as hard because everybody's standing around.
0: Yeah, man, it takes me into some of the stuff that I hate about the game, right? And one of the things is the way we're ending games. And we talked about how on the fast break, everybody knows flares out and players aren't cutting anymore. You saw the end of that Denver game uh, last week. I sent it to you because – And we talked because I remember a few years ago, uh, I was at your house and me and your dad are talking. Your dad's like, you play for me, you shoot a three on a fast break, I'm pulling you. Oh, yeah. He
1: was not playing them games. And granted, last time he coached was like when I was in eighth grade. So this was 06. Like people just weren't shooting fast break threes. Because really, by the time I was in high school, senior year in 2010, coach was telling us like flare outs. You had, and it all depends on the spacing, but The three-point shooters, like, why are you cutting to the basket when someone else is cutting to the basket? It's all about spacing. You're going to clog their angle. You flare out, and if the defense sucks down towards that guy who's going to the basket, now we have an open kickout to you. But what Denver did, where everybody just flared out and no one was going to the basket, was, like, atrocious basketball.
0: Yes, because I, like, what you just explained, there's a thought process involved. Okay, you're a shooter. You flare out. This other guys diving, and hey, ball handler, you make a decision based on what the defense gives you. If if, the, if it's safe, it's a 301 break. If the defender comes to you, you can either kick out to my three-point shooter or give me the easy layup. If he, sags, if he sags off, you can pull up for this seven, eight-foot midi or you kick it to the three-point shooter. You know what I mean? So, like, you're making a decision based on what the defense is doing. But now I see that players aren't making decisions based off what the defense is doing. They're just playing like robots. And it kind of goes back to the analytics thing. Of where, okay, this is what I need to do because it's what I'm supposed to do. Well, no, what about situational basketball? What about we're down two, the game's almost over, I need two points. Cut to the damn basket. I got a layup. We're tied up. We're going overtime. We got a chance to win the game. And it just bothers the hell out of me to see that. But even worse than that right there, Eric, is I've seen way too many step-back threes to end a game. And it's like, bro, you have 14 seconds. You can run a play in 14 seconds. Trust me, Brad Stevens can have you running a play in five seconds. LeBron, you just going dribble it, dribble it out, step-back three. Jason Tatum, dribble it, dribble step-back three. Even uh Luka last week against the Celtics, he dribbled 20 seconds off the shot clock. And takes an ignorant ass three. Okay, it goes in. Then next time they get the ball, he comes down and hits another three to win the game. The shots went in, and and, and and don't get me wrong. Like yeah, obviously you want to win the game, but there are some parts of process that you care about. And it's like, are we setting ourselves up for our best for a best success when we just let our player dribble out the whole the whole shot clock and then just chunk up a tough contested shot?
1: I don't think so, but I also think it depends on who's taking it. So, like the step back three is happening far too often for all 48 minutes. But even in the clutch, I still think it's happening too often. And there's really only like a handful of guys that can take and hit that shot on Dang. a consistent basis. Your names, Luca actually does like Luca doesn't do it for the first 44 minutes of the game, but somehow like in the last four minutes when when it's like. Balls to the wall. Like he he's likely going to hit that shot, and I don't know why he just turns it on. Then I'm comfortable with James Harden shooting that shot. I'm comfortable with Kyrie shooting that shot. I'm comfortable with KD shooting that shot. I don't even want LeBron shooting that shot. Me neither. Not in the clutch. I don't want him. I don't want to take in a step back three, dribble in the clock out. And I've just seen too many dudes do it. Runs, if, especially if you're down by two, run something. Give yourself a chance to tie the game. Yes, you have to go on defense, but that's much better than you running the clock out forcing up this last second shot, hoping it goes in, not giving yourself a chance to maybe get an offensive rebound if it misses. And it's, it's, you're just taking away your chances and opportunities to keep yourself alive. So I don't understand why not try and tie the game. If a team has been down the whole time, they, they're they now up two and they have momentum. I get trying to end it, but by and large, like, keep yourself alive. People say, like, you play to win the game. You can go to overtime and try to win the game. But you not putting yourself in a position to at least tie the game unless you have like a wide open three, it doesn't make sense to me, especially a step back contested three. And you took majority of the time off the clock to maybe get a, an offensive rebound. I don't get it.
0: And guess what? As a defender, if I see you rocking me to sleep, um, once we get to about two seconds on that shot clock or on that game clock, I'm following you. I know what you're doing. I don't, I, I've, I've rested and I've not had to play defense this whole time. You did not make me work. Yeah. And I, I I just it's lazy basketball.
1: It is lazy basketball.
0: And I think though, because the players like your dames, your 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 Stephs, your Kyries, your James Harts, you are so damn good that it allows coaches to be lazy because it's like, oh, I can just put the ball in his hand and he can make this play. I mean, yes, he can, but can you make it easier for him to make this play? Can you he- can you throw up something?
1: If I have Dame, Dame doing what he did to like PG and and OKC, that to me is last resort. Let's try and run a play. We can't get something. We got five seconds left. Give the ball to Dame. And like Dame, we tried to make something happen. Time to put the cape on. But just there's 20 seconds left. All right, we're down two. We're going to have this imbalance play to get the ball to Dame uh, right in front of half court. Dame, do your thing. That's BS.
0: And... I think Dame might be the only person who gets who who should get this pass at this point because he's he's just done it so many times where it's like you know what,
1: yeah. This I works. use him as the example because he's the one I'm most comfortable with, and even then I'm like try and make it easier for the team, and then if all else fails, Dame time.
0: Exactly, but I love Jason Tatum, but bro, you ain't done enough to be able to dribble out this clock and take a sidestep, step back three to like try to win it, like. How about you take your big 6'8 ass to the cup and finish?
1: Well, last time he did that, Bam out of bio blocked it. So.
0: Well, that's what happens when you try to dunk on Bam, lay it up for the game winner. Like, what are you doing, bro?
1: <laughs> yeah, but I at least liked him going to the basket, going to the basket strong. Because in most cases, and Bam is a great rim protector. In most cases, you're gonna get fouled. Let's try and earn it at the free throw line now. But the whole I'm just gonna step back, I put no pressure on the defense and I put all the pressure on myself to take this difficult shot, even though like a lot of like kids are shooting those shots now. Even though a lot of people are shooting them, practicing them, and shot making is at like an all-time high, that's not the way to go. You're not putting yourself in the best position to win a game if that is your your end game plan.
0: Yeah, no, it's kinda like Andy Reid going to the Super Bowl with uh a makeshift line and saying, you know what? We're going to protect with five, the entire game. But wasn't lost. Let's get to the uh, the last thing that I, I just don't like about the game of basketball right now. And it's the charges and the flopping. And don't get me wrong. There is a flopping aspect to every sport that, that works manipulation of the rules and the whole—if you're pulling up for a fadeaway type jumper, you kick the leg out a little bit. I'm not mad at that one because you know someone may be in your space a little too much, but not close enough for the call. You're trying to milk the call. I got it, but that's kind of like in the flow of the game. But the way you see, like the the the, the Trey Youngs, you know what I mean when he's when, if the man goes over top of the screen. And bumps him a little bit. He's backing up and then putting a the shot up. Again, the rules allow it. So I'm not mad at the player necessarily for doing it. But as a viewer, I don't like it because mm-hmm. we're now, we're not rewarding aggression, right? We're rewarding pacifism. And that takes me to the charge. I want to see the charge removed from the game of basketball. Not the offensive foul, but the no shit, I'm gonna stand here in your way hands over nuts, and you're going to run through me. That is not a basketball play. There is nothing aggressive about that. That is not real defense. Now, if someone drops their shoulder into you, call it. Or if you're standing your ground, whether your arms are up or you actually no shit jump up and they are forcing it, call the offensive foul because, again, they're giving themselves an advantage. But the idea that I can just stand here, and just pose right here, and we're rewarding that. I, I have an issue with it because it's not an aggressive play. It's a play that doesn't even align with anything else in the game. Like, tell me, like at what point a, the, the charge, right? Is something that you would naturally do in a game outside of using the rule that's there for you.
1: I can agree that it's not natural. No one's going to think like I'm just going to stop here. And then they run over me. But like, if you go up in the air, that call's probably not going to get called. So, and then a lot of times, offensive players are out of control. This guy is there. He is. He's allowed to have this space, and if you go through him, then you're, there's got to be some repercussion for it, and they're going to get the ball back. So I don't. I don't think it needs to be taken away because I don't know what would happen in its place. Because there are just too many times where a guy comes barreling into the lane, there's a defensive player standing there. I'm like, why do I need to jump? This guy was out of control. Or I was in the spot where they were cutting, they got the ball, and then just went straight into me. Like I I think the charge needs to stay. I do think it is it's blown a lot. I think there are times when it's not a charge and it's called it's it's the the charge block is the most is like the NBA's pass interference. It is it's missed too many times. The one I don't like is the player kicking the feet out because that comes with three free throws oftentimes. So that one I think is too egregious for what can happen. And then with the, with the flopping. Yeah, I hate it. The, what Trey Young's doing, what Kyle Lowry's been doing, LeBron's been doing a lot of it. I think they should honestly not in the moment review it because the NBA is already butchering review way too much and slowing down games, but I don't know why you can't go and look at that at, at after a game, and post-game, be like, LeBron had a flop here. We're going to test him a technical foul. So it starts to rack up on your your technical fouls. Let's like 16 is a suspension. And now LeBron's like, oh, well, I can't get too many more of these because I'm going to be suspended a game. Kyle Lowry, if he racks up four because he's flopping all the time, now he's got to watch his actual technical fouls. I just don't like how players get away with flopping all over the place and there's nothing wrong with it. And like egregious flops too. I, I mean, think yeah, they should like, be a, a, the best you can do is assess them, attack after the fact, and then hope it starts to deter some of some of those actions.
0: You'll see somebody's hand go across someone's face like this and then they go. It didn't be that far apart. and It's like, oh, but, oh bro, what? He just fell for no reason. Like, What are you calling?
1: Yeah. And, so, I mean, realistically, if you're a ref and you miss it, you're like, why else would this grown ass man be flailing backwards? And I saw. I did see the other guy's hand go up. You're going to think, "Oh, he he." And if you catch it out of the corner of your eye, all right, you whistle it. But at that point, it's done. So I think you just got to go back and look at. It. I do think the ref should be better about it. But there are sometimes the refs just aren't going to be able to catch it, and logic is going to set in and say this must have been a foul.
0: And for me, if you don't catch it, damn man, we missed that one. What? what, yeah, what don't call him. because it's not like. We get hundred percent of the calls, hundred percent correct all the time, hundred percent of the time. And you talked about the the, re, the review thing, like that shit is so much nonsense that we got to review charge block. Hey, bro, it's bang bang call. Let's go. Let's. What he saw is what is what it is. Unless it's challenged, all right. You challenge it, but just us reviewing it, just off off books. No, I don't even like the challenge personally. I could do without the challenge in any sport. I get why it's done but I want to watch the game and and, you know, this is not all my original take, but you, you, you see so much emotion, like being stripped from the game now because, Oh, we got to go review this. We got to go review that. Like, Hey, can we just play the game that we love?
1: Yeah. I think that the, the replay should really be like final minutes for calls that that have to do with possessions. Like who's it out of bounds on does this ball, was it a shot clock violation or not? But like, charge block for one it's too bang bang to go back later on and be like oh it actually was a charge oh it actually was a block just leave it what it is and i'm still iffy about goaltending but i feel like other than who's the ball out of bounds on did this ball touch the rim or not i i think it should i think it should just not be in there
0: or can we just have somebody upstairs watching the plays and if, if it needs to be reversed press the damn button we got all this, all this technology press a button all right we need a beep it hits the headset all right, stop it. It's already been reviewed by somebody, and we're not taking the official in the on the court away to go look at a damn iPad. But, look, I know you're pressed for time, so let's just keep pushing on. Are you worried about the Lakers?
1: Yes and no. They've lost production from last year. Like, Rajon Rondo was huge, and then he was even bigger in the playoffs. Um, Schroeder came in. That's huge. Danny Green's gone. And West Matthews is no Danny Green. And even in the playoffs, like we were watching the finals with people, and we were mad at Danny Green. We we're like, what the hell is going on with this dude? But Danny Green is a better three and D than West Matthews. So we we downgraded there. And then AD is out. And as much as I like Mark Gasol, his motor wasn't as high as Dwight or JaVale. I like Mark Gasol like throughout his career. He's a great passer. But Mark Gasol right now is not not the Marc Gasol of old. And then his motor's just not as high as a Dwight or, or a JaVale. So we've, we lost something there. I'm realistically thinking if AD, once AD comes back, though, it it won't matter because nobody in the West, I don't think is beating them in a seven-game series. The, the biggest thing is, can they get past Brooklyn? And at first it was Brooklyn can't guard them, but the way Brooklyn's playing offensively, like can the Lakers score enough to, to keep pace with them? So I think it's going to be interesting if the Lakers and Brooklyn both make it that far, but I'm not worried right now. The way I see it is like when Kobe and Shaq were on the same team, it's kind of like, we don't care where, what the seating is. We're going to get into the playoffs. And that's, that's when people like earn their stripes and the Lakers, they had plenty of stripes and they knew what they were doing. So as long as they get into the playoffs, it doesn't really matter to me where they fall. So I'm not, I'm not worried right now. Like they're, I understand why people are concerned, I'm personally being optimistic and thinking once AD comes back fully healed, it's going to take more than the timeline they allotted. I think everything is going to right itself.
0: Yeah, I think if your concern isn't AD, if, then just stop it. Like, it's pre-All-Star break. LeBron teams typically don't look great right before the All-Star game. I think it's his messaging of, hey, front office, do, do, do what we pay you to do. Go, go, go make some Go shake something. And you know, there's going to be some buyout players who're going to come to the Lakers just for the opportunity to win the ring. Um, uh, playoff Blake will be back in LA, just in a different jersey. I don't know what that what that offers, but you know, a lot of people are disappointed in AD uh, this year because they thought LeBron was going to pass the torch. They thought AD was going to have this this this, this coming out party as the number one guy, but when did LeBron say he was passing the torch to AD and where did this come from that? Oh, AD is going to be held. Like I know he had one year of great health and don't get me wrong. His injury history has been overblown, but it's like, when did we think AD was like LeBron was just going to pass the torch to AD?
1: I think it was more so because LeBron has like stated, I'm trying to play in the NBA with my son. So you would just naturally think he's with the mileage he's already put on, he's probably going to taper off. And then, yes, AD has had this injury history, but, like, he's still young. He's still healthy. He hasn't had the injuries that, like, alter your career. So you think, let this let this young fella carry the workload. I can still do what I need to do, but I don't need to be the workhorse anymore because I'm trying to elongate my career longer than it's it's already been. He's in year 18 and looking like Miami LeBron. As far as like just what he can do, so I, I see why people thought it was going to happen. They had won the ring, AD had learned like what it takes to play championship basketball and be on a championship team, and maybe people were also looking for him to take a next step.
0: And, and I think that not that AD has has peaked um, as a player. I think there's obviously things that he can add to his game, but as far as like seeing some exponential growth, I mean you tell me where he can find the exponential growth because he has one of the most well-rounded games in the league. He he has, he has the clutch moments. He can score. He can, he can facilitate. He can play defense one through five. Like there's just really not much more for 80 to do. And I think just like Luca and, and some of the other players in the league, he wasn't expecting to come back so early and, you know, he played late. He didn't get to rest the way he probably wanted to, and he also wasn't training, preparing for the season. But I just think we got to stop speaking for LeBron um, as basketball fans and, and the basketball media because LeBron has obviously showed us that what we think doesn't matter. He's going to do what he's going to do, and he's going to do more than what we think he can do. So let's just enjoy it, kind of like with Tom Brady. Let's just enjoy this greatness because we don't know what's going to be next and we don't know if it's going to be as great because as much as we love what happened in the two thousands, you know, that was, you know, that's our era of basketball, but it wasn't what MJ was. And not to say that MJ was, was better for, like I mean, overall MJ was better to, to your average person. Unless again, you grew up the way we grew up watching that basketball. So we loved it a little bit more, but the 2000 NBA really struggled after MJ left and, we don't want to, we shouldn't take LeBron for granted. But last one before we get out of here, let's revisit Luca real quick. Because we caught a lot of flack for our Luca takes. I mean, people said we're we racist and all of this stuff because we, we took a different view towards Luca. And and I and I thought back on it. I said maybe the word overrated was wrong. Maybe it should have went with overhyped. Maybe. But again. I don't think that we said anything negative about his game. I think that we said that Luka was a great player, top five to ten player in the league, maybe crowned a little bit too early, maybe saying he's going to be like the next LeBron was just we are just pushing back on that, saying that that was a bit too much. Um, I still don't see the fault in pointing that out, especially with the way his team was struggling, and it's showing that Seth Curry really mattered to that team.
1: Mm-hmm. That was bonehead move letting him go.
0: Uh one of the co- it was funny when the comments I said to one of the people, I'm like, maybe you know y'all are missing Seth.
1: No, 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 no,
0: no. He's not that important. I'm like, maybe not statistically, but he could go get his own bucket.
1: He was very important because he- right now, when like Maxi Kleba misses his time, they're like, we got to get Kleba back. I'm like, so so Seth wasn't important, but but Maxi is. That's a team in shambles.
0: Yeah, like we, you can't be hanging your hat on Maxi Kleber to, to 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 get you over over the top. Are they in playoff contention yet?
1: Uh, yeah.
0: I mean, they're hanging out there. They're going to get in the playoffs. I, I, solid four or five seed probably. I think they're going to make a move, but they're another team, man. They have not signed a real free agent. Like, have they ever signed a real free agent? They have not they've made great and trades. the thing
1: is because go ahead
0: no no i was gonna say they've made some good trades you know like michael finley the steve nash and the and the jason kids and, and all of that but maybe outside of tyson chandler i don't know if that was even free that may have been a free agent move but after they let tyson chandler go i mean
1: yeah just just the whole thing with luca and like i got time today because they were like oh, you guys are racist. And if you actually like, I went back and listened listened to the transcript and I was like, maybe we said, maybe I was tripping. Literally called him a Hall of Famer if he just keeps doing what he's doing now. I didn't even say he needs to get better. I said, he's a Hall of Famer if he keeps doing what he's doing right now. And he's a top five player in the league. And people will compare him to Larry Bird. And as far as like skill set and things they can do, I have zero problems with that comparison. I think it's a fair comparison. People start saying the career he's going to have I'm like, this kid got bounced out of the playoffs. And granted, it was his second year. He carried that team to the playoffs. But he got bounced out in six games by a team that got bounced out in the second round. And we know the Clippers should have, people are saying they should have gone further. They were a contender. But the team he lost to, it's not even like AD, where in AD's best years, they lost to the Warriors when the Warriors went on the title runs. And like, this isn't here to say that Luca hasn't done anything. I'm sure he has a very promising career ahead of him. But when people are putting him on the same echelon as like a Larry Bird who's got three MVPs and three rings, and LeBron who's got four MVPs and five rings, like we need to slow our roll there. Are you are you are you calling five this year? I'm I'm hoping he gets the fifth one. Okay, but but when I look at when I look at Luca, like he's going to have a great career. We just don't know if it's going to be on that level. And you think about other greats. So like Charles Barkley was first team all nba 5 times and second team 5 times. So 10 times he was the 10th best player in the league, one in an mvp and then Char- and then karl malone, 11-time first teamer. Two mvps, both of those guys zero rings. And if karl malone beat mj in 97 and 98 and if barkley beat mj in 93, we look at both of them in a very different light. But that is literally how razor thin it is between you being one of the greatest players of all time in that echelon of a Larry Bird and a LeBron and being where Carl Malone and where Charles Barkley are. And even, even Dirk, which I think is a, is a better comparison, like same team, both European Dirk, won an MVP Dirk, won a ring Dirk, still not even in the echelon. And Dirk is a once in a generation type player also. So what I'm saying is we understand the talent Luca has. We like Luca, but when you're already saying He's the top five player all time. And you're not comparing him to the skill set of these players, but saying his career is going to have the same type of trajectory. We need to slow our role because the, the line between of a great player and a hall of famer and an all timer, like top five, it is razor thin, but there are multiple rings that have to come with that. And he, he has, he hasn't done that yet and it's not his fault, but we can't crown him just yet with what he's done.
0: And that's, And that was the point of the entire conversation. It's like, Hey, we think it can happen. Just let's wait for it to happen because there are other players who have played at a really high level who have drug teams that weren't that great to the second round, some to the third round. LeBron has drug bad teams to the finals. You know what I mean? Like let's let him do some of this shit. Like, let me see him do what Dame has done so far before I start calling him Larry Bird. You know what I mean? Like, let's just – can we can we get to the second round? And, and for the people who are like, the host doesn't want to see him improve, or how can you say that he's at his peak already? Look, man, I don't care if Luka improves or not. It does not change – my bat- basketball viewing experience. I'm still going to watch him. I'm st- And I'm still going to comment on the things that I see based on what I watch and based on other things that I listen to. The great thing about being a talking head is I get to talk no matter what happens. So mm-hmm. once I get the information, I now get to talk about it. So me making a prognostication, uh, 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 that's part of the job. Based on what I've seen, guess what? We've not seen someone come into the league And dominate at the level that Luca has with the numbers that he has. We've not seen that before this early in a player's career.
1: And it's like actual production. It's not even like somebody's got to score, somebody's that like he his production is real. But when I when I look at him, I think of the there's a scene in Pulp Fiction where they finish cleaning the car and they're like, Man, this car looks great. Like we're good to go. And the wolf is like, Well, let's not start sucking. I'm not gonna say the whole line. It's like, let's not start sucking on each other just yet. And that's the thing with Luca, like when they say he's, he's going to be a LeBron, he's going to be. And I'm like, well, let's not start just yet. Like, yes, just like in the movie, like they had the car cleaned. They were it looked like it looked promising, like they were out of the woods. But there were still some steps that needed to happen. And with Luca, it's like, yes, the skill set is there. It's looking real promising. But there's some things that need to happen first before we can just go all in. And I feel like with the skill set and promise there, he's, he's shown people like, nope, we're all in. We've seen enough.
0: Right. And that's all we were saying. And, and just real quick back to me talking about him at his ceiling, because I do want to hit that. We've never seen somebody come in as polished as Luca is, right? And how far up do you go from 29, 9, and 9?
1: Yeah. Like, it's not that we don't want him to get better. It's like he's so good this young. Like we can't even fathom what what getting real what getting so much better would even look like.
0: Exactly. And the parts of his game that I think get better are just the efficiency. I think the usage goes down, but I don't think the number change, the numbers really change that much. There's not much space for his numbers to go up for them, for him to also play with other productive players. Because another guy was like, I, I, and I, I engaged with, I said, you know, maybe because of his high usage rate, he's not getting the best out of his other players.
1: Legit, like it's, no, he he's dragging them. I'm like, maybe. That's someone who doesn't understand. Because James Harden, in his best years, usage rate was up around the same. So was Russ. And we were, like, gawking over the numbers. But it's what else are you doing with it? So everyone was hammering James Harden because you're producing like this. But what are you doing in the playoffs when, when the going gets tough? And, like, Luka's usage will have to go down if his team is going to get better. And I'm not saying his usage will probably go down because they'll probably like get other really good players. But the high usage rate and the numbers typically do not equate to, like, playoff success and championships. It just doesn't.
0: championship basketball because you're going to wear yourself out. And then also players need rhythm. Like, like you just need to touch the ball. You need to be able to do some stuff. And I had some inside information from, from Denver last year. And they had some issues with the way that they were playing. There were other players who could do more than what they were asked to do But everything ran through Yoke and Jamal Murray, and that didn't allow some players to show their full skill set. Guess what we're seeing Jeremy Grant do right now? Again, good stats, bad team, but he's doing a lot more on the court than what he was given the opportunity to in Denver, and that's because of what they had with Jokic and Jamal Murray. And all I'm saying is, don't get me wrong, that team overachieved last year, so obviously – it appears that that was the right formula for that particular team. But when you see a team under what we think as underachieving, maybe the usage should drop and the other players should do a little bit more. And it just, and it may not even show up on the stat sheet. It's just, bro, we play pickup basketball. You know, if you go three, four times down and you don't touch the ball, what you're going to do when you get that corner three, you're probably.
1: I'm I'm firing it and I'm going to miss it because I have no rhythm.
0: Exactly. like, bro, I don't even need to shoot. I just need to touch the ball. Let me feel the game. And the same thing happens in the NBA. And oftentimes we get people who have never played a game of basketball in their life, never played pickup, who don't understand flow. They don't understand intangibles. And they want to just talk about stats, 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 stats. Well, if you look at his defensive rating, bro, I can look at Luka and tell you he's not a great defender. I listened to Mark Cuban on a podcast this morning, to agree that Luca's not a great defender. So, miss me when you tell me that Luca had a better defensive rating than LeBron in his first two years. I, guess who people are more afraid of defending them? Yeah, like, like right now, old ass eighteen year LeBron got straps. Just athletically, I'm not even talking about instincts, just athletically better than Luka. Not to mention that defensive rating is a damn team, is a team rating, is a team grade, anyways. Like, who else is on the court when this defensive rating happens? Like, I, yeah, man, I'm glad we both were able to get that off um, because it was just fucking nonsense, man.
1: It, it was nonsense.
0: You got anything else, man? Because I was supposed to let you go like two minutes ago.
1: No, this has been great. Thanks for having me, man.
0: All right, man. Yeah. Um. Ho- um hopefully, you'll be back soon. Um. Don't hang up. You. Hold on. You got to go at two thirty, right? Or the I'm good. I'm good. 40. All right. Cool. Yeah. This was great. Um. Yeah. We're done here. Don't hang up here.